running the race, do you have fuel, faith, or do you have faith? Faith and fuel are the same for running the race. 1 Corinthians, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Listen, I tell you a mystery. That means if someone's going to tell you a mystery, it's something from that you didn't know, something that you, you could never have understood. Now someone's revealing something that's deep and meaningful and powerful. Amen? And I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. Just stop right there. I think he's talking about church. Inside church. You're not all going to sleep. Some of you can actually be changed if you stay awake. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. So let me have lost myself one I now. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. What is that saying? Death has been swallowed up. When? In victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful piece of scripture. This scripture is talking to us about the coming and about the, the work that's going to take place on a certain day, in a certain event, on a certain occasion. He's talking about how the blood, how the, how the saints, their mortality is going to be changed. We all, we all know we die. But it's going to come a day when we're going to become immortal. Flesh and blood won't mean anything anymore. No pain, no sickness, no crying, no whinging, no wandering. We'll just be, my thought came to, actually, a thought came to me this week is, I wonder what my spirit looks like. Don't go to the movies to try and picture that because you'll just take that picture. I don't look like a poltergeist. I don't look like some ghost on uh, Ghostbusters. I don't know what my spirit looks like, but I know I have one. And when I get up into the heavens, on that moment, in that day, I'm going to somehow recognize you guys. I'm going to recognize you. I'm going to say, hey, you made it too. Where's, where's, where's Billy? I'm going to go, where's Billy? Oh, he didn't make it. Because not everyone will make it. Why? Because some people won't hold on to him. But when I get there, I've got to recognize some of you. So we have a spirit. Amen? We have the Holy Spirit. We have your spirit. Amen? These events are significant to our faith. A time, a moment, event when the perishable will become imperishable. When the immortal, so the immortal will become immortal. When death is finally swallowed up and, and it has no more victory and we stand with our, with our Christ and our Saviour, 
for eternity will rule and reign. How long is eternity? Just don't go there. Your mind can't, comp- can't compute that. It's forever and ever. There has no end. And if there ever was an end, he'd just create another new beginning. So there's no end. It's just, it's a mathematical equation you could never, ever work out. But in a certain moment, in a certain day, on a certain day, a twinkle of an eye is going to take place. Now, your mother told you that you was the twinkle of an eye. But on a certain day, on a certain moment, you're going to be doing your business and gone. I know this is not that event, but there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a taking. Whether I'm here or not, I don't know. But whether, if I am, great. If it happens on someone's shift, wonderful. It'd be cool, wouldn't it? It'd just cool just to be, just as Aguero's going to score another goal to win. And all of a sudden I go and I miss. No, let me go back. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But you know, it's a significant time. And I live for moments like this. And so should you. Because these are the promises that God tells us to hold on to. These are the events that's going to take place in somebody's generation. You know, and if they don't take place in mine, don't care. I'll still serve my God the way I'm supposed to serve him. I'll still love him, still honor him, still walk with him, still worship him. And when I go, he's going to take me anyway. Doesn't matter, does it? But if I'm around, I'll be cool. Just to go like a Star Trek, two to beam up, boom, gone. In a twinkle of an eye. 1 Corinthians tells us this. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. What does nothing mean? So, what God's saying is, these things are going to happen... Do we all agree on these things? Well, it's each individual to work out in their own spirit. These things are going to happen. But meanwhile, Dave and Veronica, example, let nothing move you. So when someone tells you, let nothing move you, why do you think he's telling you that? Because something potentially can move you. Something. And very often, as I said just only a couple of minutes ago, that voice comes from you. You can remove yourself with your doubts and your fears, your suspicions, when your mind wanders. Yeah? But this is what he says. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. When he says brothers, he's including the girls as well. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, we can read that scripture and we can just pick out a word, stand firm. But listen to what he's saying. First of all, let's break this verse down. First of all, stand firm. That's the, that's the scripture, that's the word, the phraseology. He wants to embed into your spirit, you must learn to stand firm. If you're going to run your race, if you're going to live and be part of those events that he's talking about... And we are going to be part of those events, whether we've gone to the other side beforehand or not, because we're part of the church. Amen? We're part of the bride. Right? So we're part of the church. Things are going to happen. We're going to experience them at some time, some point in our future or the immediate future. We don't know. However, the point is, while those things, the clock is ticking by to those events, will you stand firm? 
Will you stand firm? This is the inference to what he's saying in this scripture. Stand firm. And then the next thing he says is to you, let nothing move you. Let nothing. When we put word nothing, let's put no one, someone, everyone move you. Sometimes it's not a person, it's an event that moves you. True? It can be a tragedy. It can be excitement. It can be an opportunity that moves you in the wrong direction. So let nothing move you. Let no one move you. Only God's word and wisdom. And then he says this, and this is where we stop. We say, okay, I can, I can handle this. I can handle stand firm. I can handle let nothing move me. But then we have problems with this next one. Always give yourself fully. Because now that reminds, that requires something from you. Give yourself fully. To what? Why do I need to give myself fully? I have a job, I have a family, I go to work, I give myself to my family. So um, I've got my responsibilities, and this is what most Christians can't understand. Giving themselves to something is the whole concept of why Christ died and rose for you. Yes, he gave, he gave himself to you so that you could fully give yourself to him. And that, isn't, that doesn't mean coming to church. It takes not, not a lot of effort for us in the West to come to church. For certain parts around the world, people have to meet. Well, it does for some people, yeah. For some people, just meeting, coming to church, you have to meet in the woods away from the police. So around the world, coming to church can have a different connotation than it does in the West. But in the West, we're so comfortable. We're smothered with love. Some churches don't have a Starbucks in it. Oh, I've got to find a church where there's Starbucks. There ain't no Starbucks in church. There's coffee. And people's expectations of what they expect for church, from church is stupid. Let's get back to the point of who it's about. So always give yourself fully. Give yourself fully to the work. Well, I'm glad you asked. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So God expects you to have a work. I don't mean going to work. Albeit some of you going to work is your work. And it can be the work of the Lord. I said it can be. He didn't say it is. You have to go to work to eat, to live, to pay your bills. So you've got to go to work. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right and proper. But there is a work beyond your work. There's the work of the Lord. Well, I'm so busy at my work that many of us never get to the work of the Lord. This is an issue for many of us. We send our kids into careers that then hold them and they're not free to pursue the work of the Lord. But they've got a great career. Well, gee, didn't you raise your kids great? You raise your kids for a great career, but then they lose the salvation and the walk with God. We can have both. Raise our kids to have both, to have a God conscience, to serve God. Serve God with all your heart. Because money will always be a temptation. There'll always be a job with a better offer. Amen? The job, you know the best job you can have? is the job that pays well and gives you freedom. What a great job that is. And you know what? It's called the work of the Lord. God gives you freedom. Gives you freedom. 
But you can have, you can work for a company that gives you freedom and gives you a good job. I'll work for one. You can. So give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And then he says this. The last thing he says is, because you know your labor is not in vain. So, son, daughter, I'm asking you to do this because there is some value to this. I'm not asking you to do something that has no return. It has a very good return. So the same person who encourages uh, the church with these words, and he, he wrote and said about his own walk and his own witness, this is what he said in 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. So in other words, what he's saying is, I'm not asking the church to do something that I have not done myself. So Paul was not a hypocrite. Paul says, the very thing I'm saying, stand firm, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, is the very thing he actually says about his own life. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So he's not telling the church to do something that he himself has never done. That's very important that when we, as pastors or preachers or speakers, or whoever it is, get in front of other people that we are not hypocrites. We're not telling you to do something or encouraging you to do something, encouraging you to give something that we ourselves have not given. Now, many, many speakers fall into that. But that's not my rap. So you can't judge me by others. You can only judge me by how consistent I've been with you. Amen? Or how fruitful I've been with you. And many of you know that, but this isn't about me. The point I'm making is, Paul is, this consistency through everything he writes. There's consistency. There's consistency. Jesus didn't ask you to do something that he himself did not do. He himself was tempted in every way, just as you were, so that you can identi- he can identify with you and you can identify with him. Yes, Yet without sin. Amen. Right, so he did it. Apostle Paul did it. Now, I'm not Jesus and I'm not the Apostle Paul, but nobody told you to be, like Je- uh, to be Jesus or be Apostle Paul, but you can be like them. Why? Because Paul said, Re- remember the patterns I've taught you. So in the patterns... You can become like, like. I'm not trying to become Phil, and Phil's not trying to become me. When our children are young, they want to be like mum and dad. But then there's a part where mum and dad no longer appears cool. And then they want to be themselves. And it's great when the little ones want to be like mum and dad. It's great to have that hero status amongst your own children. But you know, I can still be Superman. I can still be all things to my son, but I've just, I'm different. I've changed. He's changed. Yeah? I can still be a font of wisdom to my children. I don't fly around in the cape no more. I gave up the cape. I fly around, but not like that. So, Paul said, Paul talks about keeping this faith. This faith is the utmost in Paul's life. How do we keep this faith? I fought the good fight. Well, what's the fight? Well, I finished through. Well, what's the race? There's the key there, the faith. I ran the race and I fought the fight to keep the faith. I ran the race, I fought the battles in order for me to keep the faith. So he says this in Luke. And, that, and this is talking of Jesus. Jesus is looking for the very thing that Paul has been writing about. He says this. And... Will God bring about justice for, the, for his chosen ones? Who carry out to him day and night, sorry, who cry out to him day and night 
Will he keep putting them off? Question mark. No. I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So when Jesus comes back again, the very thing he's looking for is not how big the church became. He's not looking, did we sell Starbucks? Or did we sell books? No. Jesus is not looking for the very things that many believers are looking for on the earth. So many believers attend churches looking for so many different things. Jesus says, I'm looking, I'm looking to see if there is anyone, if there's any church, if there's any believers within that church, whether they, walk, they are walking in faith. Because faith is the currency that every believer needs. We all have our own international currency. We go to a shop, it's recognised, we spend it. And when, it's, when we've got no more, we go to work to get some more. True? But the church currency is faith. You cannot spend, you cannot impress God, you cannot please God without faith. Faith is the most important thing that you and I need. It's not, you and I can come to church today and we don't need any faith. Why? I'll tell you why you don't need any faith. Because this morning you walk through the door, the heating was on, the lights were switched on, the band was ready to play, I'm ready to speak, everything was done for you. True? So there was no faith involved. There was just an expectation that when I walk through that door, this will materialise. Some of us never asked the question, who, what, why, when... We just turn up and it's all expect like it's an inflatable thing. We just roll it out, plug it in, boom, and it all just flies. It doesn't work like that, you know that. But we can easily fall into that mentality. It's created by a walk. It's, it's created by consistency. It takes faith to believe and to believe that God will change people's lives. As I, as a shepherd, pray for you, it takes, me, it takes faith to believe that God will change some of you. It does. Because when you pray, when, when you, you can preach and preach and preach and preach, I've realised my preaching does not change nothing. So why keep doing it? Good question. I'll tell you why I do it. Because it's a calling on my life. Because you don't belong to me. You are the Lord's. And the Lord says, it's my word, not yours. I told you to speak. Speak. The results is him, not me. And the moment I think the results are about me, I'm in the wrong game. He told Isaiah, Isaiah, go and speak. Say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me where? Send me to a nation that will never receive you, will never listen to you. They won't buy your CDs. They won't buy your books. They'll never do anything you tell, tell them. That's not you, by the way. This is Isaiah. Keep preaching to them until they become a stump in the ground. Now, I thank God I didn't get that commission. Thank God I didn't get that commission. But the point is that no time could Isaiah withdraw from that commission. Because he said, here I am, send me. He bought in. Little did he know what he was saying when he was in that presence. It's amazing. 
what the promises we made to the Lord when we're in his presence. But he says, son, keep the faith. We must know what the faith is. Faith is not going to church. Faith is in a person. So when I come back, he says, I'm going to find faith on the earth. So, that's what he says here. Let's go to the next part. Are you all awake? Dear friends, that's good. It's good to talk to friends. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Okay? That was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, there's sometimes when I write to you as a church. Now, be honest. I didn't end up in your spam. Because your email address should recognize we are a safe, clean source. Okay? Now, the point is, your email, if you do check your emails, will tell you that you've got an email from the Dream Center. And then you open it up, and you have the, this, this epilogue of words. And the Lord has begun to speak to me on this. So when the Lord speaks to me, this I can share with you. The Lord says, keep writing. Keep writing those epilogues. Because it reveals more about them than anything else. Whether they can read it and take this word and hold on to it is their, to, to check out, to, it's their responsibility, in other words. You must keep writing because when I write, someone asks me, why do you write so long emails? Do you know what my answer was? Because I have something to say. So the, the smart answer would be, well, can you not say it shorter? Of course I can. I'll break it in paragraphs. I'll send it in installments. But I have got a scripture. God showed me this week about doing that very thing. And I'll tell you at the right time. I've got full permission from heaven to keep on writing. Now the issue is, you've got the power of the button that goes, put it in the bin. And I've learned the value of letters in my life. I have. I've learned that letters nourish you. Letters feed your spirit. Letters refresh your spirit. But you must have a respect for the person who's writing in order to receive from that email or that letter. When Jonathan David writes emails, I am like my father in that sense. He writes long emails. And I didn't set out to copy him. It's just the fact that I've got something to say. Now, Pat helps me in my editing. If I could say it shorter, it's her fault, because not me. But the point is, when I send to an email, Dave does my editing. Right? The point is this, is it doesn't matter whether it's a book or it's an email. I've got something to say. Now, you will determine whether you're fed up with me. That's a bedtime story. Or that's not the point. How you take what I write is up to you. But I'm trying to help you to contend for the faith. That's all I'm trying to do. My, my, my sole motive for doing it is to strengthen you. That's it. That's it. I've not asked you for money. Have I ever asked you for money? Have I ever asked you to support something I'm doing? No. My whole point is to encourage you. 
So Paul says, dear friends. So when I write, I'm writing to my beloved friends. My friends. Now, if you don't want to have me as a friend, you can delete me off Facebook. You can delete me off the emailing list. That's fine, but the emails are still coming. Dear friend, although I was very eager to write to you about salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend. In other words, I could write about one thing, but God has stirred me to write to you about something different. I could write to you about many things. I could just write you nice, encouraging emails. Oh, the pastor loves you. Blech. You could write all those things. But he said, I felt, I felt I was very eager to write to you about salvation we share. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. So the Holy Spirit's arrested him to write something different. Why? Because that's what the people needed. To contend for the faith. That was once and for all and trusting that we know we can see it in blue here. Contend for the faith means compete in order to win something. That's what the word means. So then he says, I fought the faith, I fought the good fight, I finished the race and I've kept the faith. The man who's writing these things has done it himself. I'm running a good race right now and I want you to run with me. And I want you to get others to run alongside you. So that what's good for the goose is good for the... So we're just trying to encourage one another to keep on in this race. Is that okay? You've got to walk. You've got to work. You've got to witness in your race. You've got three aspects. You've got to walk. You've got to work. You've got to witness. You've got to walk. Walk with who? Christ. You've got to work. Well, you've got to go to work, but you also have a work in God to do. And you've got to witness in that work and in that walk. That there are three key components to your spiritual life. It's not just you having a Bible study on your own and praying, though that is powerful and you must keep on doing that. But at some point you must feel like your, push, your whole weight is behind something. That you're actually helping, using what you've got, the strength you've got, the gifts you've got. You must put that behind something so that you can see the benefit of what you're working towards. True? We put all our life into a career. There's nothing wrong with working in a career. Let me make that plain. But all your life, if you've got no Christian life or you've got a, a sedate one, then I guess the only thing you've got left is a work, a career. Go and hide in a career. But if you've got something, there was something about my career that would not let them take me. I would not let them take me. I was, I was deliberate in my career that I will serve God. This company will get its pound of flesh and I'll get my pound. I'll get my pound and they'll get their pound of flesh. But there is someone greater, there is a cause greater that's going to get the best side of me. Not that they're not going to get what they're paying me for. I must give them what they pay. So that's right. But with what's left, I must serve God. I must serve God. I must. So, we must contend for the faith. Corinthians, but if, why must we contend for the faith? But if it was preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, this is important, so let's read this carefully. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, 
then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So what he's saying is, look, our faith is not in a wishful event, not in, in a mystical event. Our faith is based in a person on his death and on his resurrection. This is the cornerstone of our faith. Did Jesus, is Jesus Christ the person he said he is? Did he do what he said he would do? He did. And will he do what he has promised he will do? These are the cornerstones of our faith. This is why we contend for the faith. I believe in, the Christ, I believe in Christ Jesus. Well, that's great. Even the demons do that. I believe he rose from the dead. But not everybody believes he rose from the dead. So already now, I've now separated myself from a good percentage of people. Yes? Not only do I believe he died and rose again, I believe he is the power of salvation. So if he's the power of salvation, my faith and my preaching now have meaning. Now, I have a reason to contend for the faith. Because now it's not just an event. It's now in a person who's now living and breathing on the inside of me. I walk with me and, and he talks with me. Now I have a relationship. So now I have a faith to walk out. So now I must work, I must walk, I must witness. I must work, I must walk, I must witness. I must worship. Work, walk, witness, worship, work. Walk, witness, worship, work, walk, witness, worship. I've kept them all in doubles for you, W's for you. That's what your faith must have. A work, a walk, a witness, worship. Made it really easy for you then. All the wubble use. That scripture's powerful, is it? Right, let's continue on then. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Why? Now he makes it more serious that not only is this all lies. Now I'm still a sinner. If I'm still a sinner, then I still need a saviour. Or someone could turn and say, well, if, there's no, if he didn't do what he said he would do, there is no sin. That's the worst deception there is. That is the worst deception mankind can ever have. There is no saviour. There is no sin. We don't owe anybody anything. True? Then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So the dead who have gone before us, that counts for nothing. So your, your loved ones, the people that you've buried, who preach the gospel to you, the dead, they've gone, it doesn't count for anything. There's, you'll never see them again. There's nothing to be seen again. All that means, nothing, if Christ is not who he said he is. And he says this, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all men. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. I'll say that again because some of you fell asleep at that point. But, where's it gone? I've missed it. 20, 20. Oh, yeah. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through, all comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has been destroyed. All dominion, authority, power. Did I believe you read that scripture this week, did you? Or something like that. All power, authority, and dominion. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What is Paul is stating the case here? This whole Christianity hangs on this whole issue of Christ's death, his resurrection, his divinity, him returning back for his church, fulfilling the promises that he's made to you and to me. Christianity hangs on that very thing. Now, it's not a fragile. It's not, it's not fragile. In other words, it can't be tipped. Truth will defend itself. I don't know if you saw this week. I know it's a, it's, it's a bit of a rabbit trail. But there was a, someone sent me a, a video tube, uh, sorry, video footage of, uh, on YouTube from a car that had been burnt in America. Totally destroyed. The guy, the guy uh, got out of it miraculously. The car was burnt to a cinder. You know the only thing they found in it was his Bible. And his Bible was unscorched. And the policeman's saying, that is not coincidence. Now, to some people, say, it's a book. Well, everything else got burnt in the car. Read into what you want. The point is, is the truth will defend itself, always has defended itself. Why? Because God's bigger than you or I. God's smarter than the intelligent uh, being out there who can put this argument that no one's thought about before. Scripture defends Scripture. Amen? So Paul is stating his case here that this faith is based around a person around events, around what he's done, and around on what he said he will do. So when you're struggling, remember, if you let go, you're letting go of your own future. If you let go, you're letting go of your own future. Is that not true? So, there is sin in mankind. I've pulled my pants up here. Hang on, let's come back a minute. I thought I'd put a slide for this one. There isn't. There is, how many of you know there is sin in mankind? And that sin was in you and me. How many of you know there's two Adams it talks about there? There is the first Adam who created sin. The second Adam who takes away sin. Second Adam, his name is Jesus Christ. It's a type. Amen? The second Adam died. Sorry, the first Adam died. The second Adam rose again. How many of you know that? And he's now the first fruits. You are continual fruits. He was the first fruit. Amen? You and I must now work, walk, witness and worship. Until dominion, power and authority has been established on the earth in every domain. Okay? So what, what's, the, what's the thing in our Bibles? That, what's that from Papa? What's it called? That's... Yeah. Yeah. Have you got? A, have you got a card? Let me. Yeah. Oh, there it is. 
Sorry. The Father's decree. So all that the Father's decreed has to be brought to earth. The Son's dominion. All that the Son, when he, when he defeated death and he defeated um, the enemy, dominion now has to be established on the earth. So that the Spirit's demonstration. So who does the Spirit demonstrate the Father's decree and dominion through you and through me? Thanks, Phil. The dominion of the Father, the decree, and the Spirit's demonstration, everything now must come through that work, that walk, that witness, and that worship. That's how we have dominion. Dominion in your own family. Let's rebuild the walls. That's what rebuilding the walls is all about. Bringing dominion back into your family. Bringing the Father's decree back into your family. What God has spoken over the family, bring it to shape. Dominion. And as you bring it to shape, you then begin to take every negative influence in your family, back. And then you establish dominion, power, and authority. That's called rebuilding the walls. Now, last time I looked, that battle are still not, is still not over. Every one of us, we must continue fighting for the family. We're still talking about the family, running the race with the family. That's why we put family things on this year, because we are determined every family must be whole. Every family must be in faith. Every family has a walk. Every family has a work. Every family must worship. Amen? Every family must have, whether consciously or unconsciously, every family has its own witness. We all know families. Let's just hope they're not talking about you down the road as being one of those families. But if they're going to talk to you about being one of those families, let it be for Christ. Amen? We must labor with the Father, the Holy Ghost, and Christ until all his enemies are placed under his feet. This is why we must contend for the faith. Is this helping you? So the first type of faith you need to develop for your race is believing faith. You must have believing faith. Faith must be actionable. It must be living. It must be active. It must be demonstrated. So... Without believing faith, there's nothing to bring it alive. True? It's the oxygen of faith. Believing is the oxygen. The moment you stop believing, you snuff out your own faith. So it's the oxygen you need. Amen? So he said, and I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So believing faith means a change is going to take place. To keep believing means you have to keep changing. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's get a drink. I don't know about you, but the believer who doesn't change, the moment he becomes a Christian, excuse me, the believer, some people get saved. Let's just say I get Chris saved tonight. I'm at a barbecue. It's a nice day. I end up having a conversation. I lead him to Christ. Right? He's in. He's one of us. Whatever that means. Now, is he born again? Are you sure? Positive? Right. But what's he done? Has he got a walk established? Has he got a work established? Has he got a witness going? Has he got any worship? No, he's just in. He's a new member. Is a new member, he's clean. But guess what? His nature is still unformed. I still have to work on his nature. I still have to work on his habits. Isn't that right, Mum? Yes. yes. 
still got work on his habits, right? Of course, because this is the work that you and I must undergo. So he's forgiven, he's cleansed, but he's still got bad habits, he's still got old thinking patterns, and he's still got an old nature. So there's still a lot of him there. True? Christ put a deposit into him, means he's now saved, washed. If he dies, if he, dies he goes straight to heaven. But he's done nothing on earth. Does that make sense? Right, so believing faith now is, when I take him on that journey, he has to keep believing. Because faith that he got, the faith that he used to get born, become born again was given to him by God. It wasn't his. It was given to him as a gift. But now to follow Jesus, he's going to have to create and develop some faith. So the first level in that is believing faith. The disciples struggled in the initial stages of believing faith. Because Jesus was selling them all kinds of stuff that they just could not compute. And he kept saying, stop wavering, stop wandering, stop doubting, believe. Then later on he said, now we believe because you showed us. And he says, don't you still get it after all these miracles? They wavered and wandered. And then they turned around and said... Now we've got it. There was a point now where they moved beyond believing faith. And we'll take that in a minute. But there's a believing faith. Every day you need believing faith. Every day. Why? Because it's in the believing faith that you begin to change. If there is no believing faith inside of you, you will never, ever conform to the nature and to the pattern of Jesus Christ. You'll always go to the nature and pattern of this world. That is true. So Matthew says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So Chris has just been born again and he's got this little tiny seed. Now if he, if he waters it and he keeps giving it oxygen, that seed will grow. That's you. That's me. What's the size of, what's the size of your seed? Anyone, so... It's the size of a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, is the mountain bigger than your seed? Good question. I'm glad I asked you that one. Is your mountain bigger than your seed? No. Your seed is greater than the mountain. It depends on perspective. A mountain physically is bigger than your seed, but your seed, though small, can move a mountain. But if you've no belief, then your mountain is bigger than your seed. But with belief, your faith is bigger than the mountain. It all depends on which side of the mountain you stood on. That's good, that. I'm glad we thought of that one. It's true. This seed that you have is unquantifiable. Because in it is the very nature of Christ. All it takes is revelation. Revelation comes by and you go, wow, I believe I can do it. I believe I've got power. I believe I've got authority. I believe I can have dominion. And all of a sudden you stand in faith. You believe in faith. You speak in faith. Then all of a sudden you've overcome your mountain. And then when you've overcome that mountain, all other mountains seem insignificant. True? Because you've got victory in one area, you've got enough to go for the next fight. We move mountains by faith. 
Physically, you don't move a mountain, do you? You don't move a mountain. But we're talking about spiritual mountains. Not physical mountains. Don't try and move a physical mountain. Waste of time. Don't even bother. Yeah? Andrea gave me a plant in the communications class. Ange gave part of her speaking. She gave us all this plant. Right? To water, to look, to look after, to take care of it, to speak to it, to sing to it, to restore it. I sing to my plant every day. But guess what? Singing's not helping it. <laughs> Killing it. Killing it softly with my words. Yeah? Singing does not help my tree. Do you know what helps my plant the most? Sunlight and water. So there it sits in my windowsill. And I water it. And you know, guess what? Surprise, surprise. It's growing. Now, we're not ready for first fruits offering yet. But she's growing nicely. She, it's in the female, she's my darling, she's my, I take care of her. I'm seeing, just by some physical action, my tree, my plant, whatever it is, right? It's a tree up there, it's bigger than, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to create shade for me. I'm ready to give you my first fruits offering when it's ready. All because I took responsibility. All because she gave me the gift. Free, free gift, faith. I took responsibility of the free gift she gave me. Now I water it. Now I take care of it. Now I believe there's a tree there. Don't disappoint me now. Don't tell me it's a plant. It's a tree. It will grow into whatever I tell it to grow. Right? It's checking the beanstalk, yeah. Checking the beanstalk. It will grow. Why? Because it's nature. What is it, by the way? Is it a... Iris. No, not an Irene, it's an iris. <laughs> it's, a, it's got a nature up there, and it will grow according to its nature. Yes? So, can you grow according to your new nature? But you've got to water it. And how do you water it? Faith. Speak faith. Hmm, oh, I don't know about this. This will never happen. You're absolutely right. You get what you confess. You get what you confess. It'll never happen. It'll never change. Don't tell him. He'll never change. Scott. No, honey. He will change. He will change. So now my plant's on the way. So Hebrews says, without faith. Come on, finish it off. It is to please God. Now, did you hear there coming to church? I didn't either. What's he looking for when he comes back again? Whose faith? The church's faith. Or anyone on the earth with faith. Without faith, it's impossible. So the very thing God's looking for is give to you. The very thing he's given to you, you've got to develop. The very thing he's given you to develop, you cannot please him without. That make sense? So, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So, we've seen the first one is believing faith. Second requirement you need to run your race is you must be full of faith. There's a lot of people full of a lot of stuff. Full of imagination, delusion, pain, suffering, indifference. People are filled with all kinds of stuff, but what he's telling us is that we must be full of faith. Brothers, he says in Acts 6, 3, 
Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We will turn the responsi- this responsibility over to them. In other words, their work. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of? Full of faith. And the work of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, and a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. These men were full of faith. Stephen was full of faith. To do the work of the Lord, you must, have, you must be full of faith. Believing faith is not enough. You must be full of faith. Full of faith. Full of faith. Some people are full of a lot of things, but it's not always faith. You must develop your faith so you are full. God likes full He likes full. God would never drive around in a car like mine. Half empty tank. Especially when your kids have been in it. They leave your tank empty. Because I always leave my son a full tank of fuel. (laughs) That's a lie. It's a lie. It's it's a lie. It's not true. I I give him the car. That's enough. Full of faith. Full of faith. Now here's the thought that came to me. I just wonder I just wonder if the Holy Ghost told us as a leadership to pull seven people out in this church and set them apart for a work, could we find seven people full of faith? That's a good answer. Well done Jules. She's counting herself in there. Good. Seven Just seven, I'm only asking for seven. No, each one's got to answer that themselves. The question I asked myself as I was putting this together, is there seven people full of faith that you could set to a work tomorrow? You know what? It's great to hear, but there's also a lot more silence than there is voices. Full of faith. Full of faith. That's a challenge, and, for, and the Holy Ghost, absolutely, and the Holy Ghost. Full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost. Now, the next question that comes on the back of that, because I'm glad you asked, is if you've been receiving this word for these amount of years, and you're still not full of faith, then something's wrong with your faith. Something is very, very flawed with your faith. If you're not full of faith and you cannot be set apart for a good work, then, my friends, irrespective of who you are, there is something wrong with your Christian faith because at any one time, God should be able to say, choose him, hurt them, and set them apart for this work. That doesn't mean to say the rest of you get to do nothing. That means that they were set about for this task. That's all. We've all got to work. But that, that was this task. See, I was set apart from heaven before I was born to do this. That was my role. That's my calling in life. I'll get a called in life, but I had a calling before I was called. Does that make sense? So the point is, that's my task, my role, my work. My role and my work and my task is to involve others and empower others 
for the role, the work that's in my life. Yeah, that's, my, that's why God gives you a shepherd. The sheep think that the shepherd's there just to feed them. The shepherd knows that the sheep are his workforce. But the sheep just want food. But you're not there just for food, you're there for a workforce. That's the difference between the people wanting a shepherd and the shepherd wanting people. They both want the shepherd, they both want have a different perspective. We just need someone to feed us. No, no, no. I need people, so I need a workforce to do what's in my heart. So if we have to set people aside, we need people full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. It's a great challenge. It's a great challenge. And the best way to get full of faith is by doing something. Yeah? By doing something gets you full of faith. At some point, you'll develop faith. So some of you sit there and think, yeah, 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 I'm full of faith. (laughs) He's talking about you. I wonder how many journeys I've been excluded from going on because I wasn't full of faith. I wonder how many doors have been closed because my lack of faith and my lack of ability to be constantly being filled with the Holy Ghost. I ask that about myself. I know some opportunities have been closed because I'm not ready. So if I'm not ready, then I pay a personal price for that in my own life. But what happens if I'm not ready and it's affecting you? What happens if you're not ready and it's affecting us? What happens if us not being ready affects the world? Come on, you've got to drill it right down and take it up and take it right down. So everyone's got a responsibility in the house. There's a difference between someone being part of the house and someone just coming to the house. Those who, who are part of the house realize that it's me, it's him, it's them, it's us. Someone who comes to the house, it's just me. Themselves. What can I get from today's meeting? So, we're nearly finished. The third requirement is you must become obedient to the faith. So we see full of faith. Sorry, believe in faith, full of faith. Now, here's the crux. Can you be obedient to the faith? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So the word of God spread. So guess what? Because there was men full of faith, got released to the work, though so the word spread. See this? The word spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. See what's going on here? Because we found a few good men. The work is advancing. It only takes a few good men and women. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Even the non-disciples became obedient to the faith. The, the, The religious establishment got saved and became obedient to the faith. Now, if that can be said of non-believers, how much more should it be said of believers? Then we see in Hebrews, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So suffering is a part of discipleship. I know you don't want that. In fact, we're going to buy some oil and we're going to sell it called suffering. Can you imagine if we got some ointment, Phil, and we sold it, it's called suffering 
yeah, suffering perfume. How many people would want to wear that? But you know, suffering is an aroma. It is a Christian aroma that comes up before the Lord as a sweet-smelling sense. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Now, the last time you suffered is when you couldn't get to the cafe and they had no paninis left. Come on. I'm not volunteering for suffering. Somehow I found that if I'm believing and I'm walking in faith, suffering will somehow get my email address and my home address. Suffering will find me. True? But if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Now, I'm not going to be crucified. In faith, I'm not going to be crucified. (laughs) Not the way he was anyway. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So he had to go first. So many, he became the first fruit. So many sons and daughters could come to where he is. But not only come, but obey him. And was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So obedient faith. Last one. The aspect of faith you will need to carry and display in key times and seasons is great faith. So we have believing faith. We are full of faith. We have obedient faith. And now we have great faith. I've got 15 of these, by the way. Not today. As I was saying to you, the way I have much more to say than you can handle right now. Whilst time will allow us. Great faith. How many of you believe you need great faith? Oh, my Lord, I keep saying, Lord, give me great faith. These days, on any given day, I need believing faith. True? Today, I need believing faith. I might need, what was the next one? Believing faith? Full of faith, sorry. I need to be full of faith. I need obedient faith. But I also need, I'm going to work, and I'm going to do things for God. I need great faith. You and I need to establish this. But this doesn't come on its own. You can't establish this without the others. Because as faith begins to build and get stronger, you go from obedient faith, believing faith, to great faith. You see, great faith establishes things. Great faith goes beyond what we can think or imagine. When I think of people like Billy Graham, and I think of Catherine Kuhlman and, and so many others. So, uh, Hudson Taylor. And the, the, let's go back to the 12th century, 11th century. When you look at people like uh, uh, Whit, uh, Charles, uh, Whitworth and Spurgeon and, and, and go beyond that. The people, how we get what we've got today because they showed great faith. They were persecuted. They, they, they were rode out of town. I think there's still a sign in America somewhere for where Wesley came through and that there was an order there. Anyone found preaching the gospel, kill him. Still there today as a a memorial. When was the last time they ran you out of town? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have anyone come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. What faith. Can you imagine if you, if I write a letter, an email to you, you don't know what circumstance that email finds you in. But if I had not sent that email to you, your circumstance would not have a word for it. I've just proved my validity why emails are, are good. Yeah? Now, if you give up on the, on the line too, you'll never discover what was in there. 
Go, he says. And as he goes, and that one, come. Oh, sorry, he's, he's telling him, I tell this one, go. And he, as he goes, and that one, come. And he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Wow, it takes a lot to astonish Jesus. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In Israel. In Israel. He didn't say in this church, in this town. In Israel. How many people was he referring to? Only Jesus knows. Can you imagine if he says, I've not found anyone in Manchester or in England or in Europe with such great faith. Jesus was astounded by great faith. Lord, help me, he said in Mark 15. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the, this woman was smart. This woman had wisdom to respond. But even the dogs eat the crumbs of, that fall off, off the master's table. And when she answered the woman, he said, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed. Her daughter was healed from that very hour. See, when the word comes, you've got to be able to respond. You've got to be able to respond when that word comes. Because that word will defy what you see, what you know, what you've experienced. Hear me now, church. Hear me, hear me strong. That word will defy what you've seen, heard, and experienced. But it's a word that if you can step into, it will reconstruct everything that's going on around you. See, that woman had wisdom. She could have said, that's right, yeah, dogs don't... You know, she might not even seen that the dogs eat that. Eat the crumbs off the table. She could have got offended. But she turned it around and said, yeah, but even the dogs get fed. And Jesus thought, wow. This woman saying that, I'm, I'm a dog. If the dogs get it, I'm entitled to it, Surely. Surely, if the dog can get it, I can, I can take the place of the dog then. Give me the crumbs that the dog gets. Whoa. And Jesus, whoa, that is an amazing statement to make, sweetheart. Your faith, your faith, great faith, that right now you, your daughter's healed. Wow. So, what kind of faith do you have this morning? Do you have believing faith? That's good. Do you have obedient faith? Do you have full of faith? Are you full of faith this morning? I'm full of faith this morning. But it's great when we're in this atmosphere. When you go home and you go out, are you still full of faith? If you're full of faith, if you're obedient and full of faith, then let it move you to great faith. Great faith. Now, listen, if you start praying, let me just give you a warning. If you ask God for faith... You're going to get situations. If you ask God for patience, what do you think you're going to get? Right. Trials and tribulations. If you ask God for kindness, what are you going to get? Whatever you ask God for, the opposite will come so that you have opportunities to show. And this is the only thing about God. He's sneaky at times. He doesn't give it you at the moment you ask. He waits when you're not ready. And then he steps back and he goes, hey, do you remember six months ago when you were praying? Yeah, I answered. Well, what happened six months ago when I was ready? No, I heard you. Now's your opportunity to show kindness, gentleness, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I, got, I want faith, Lord, I want faith. What faith? Do you want faith today? 
Faith now, faith next week. Lord, I want it now. Well, just believe what you already know. Yeah. Give me patience for my faith. God is going to birth faith in you because this is his work. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I love it when God has a plan. Amen? Are you up for this? So what faith do you need this morning? All of them. So let's just camp on this, this concept here, this challenge that I brought to you. I need seven people, seven people who are full of faith so God can set them apart for the work You've got to be able to tell yourself, am I one of the seven? And if not, why not? How far do I, how far am I out of the, outside of the bracket am I? Am I, I should say. Am I? How far out of that bracket? Don't get, don't, this is not to condemn. Because we don't have the ministry of condemnation. This is to assess where you are. So if I'm not here, I need to make a journey to make that journey so I can become that person of faith that God wants me to have, to be, should say. So if I'm not in those seven, don't get smart if you are the seven. Because God's watching your heart now. I'm one of the seven. He's not talking about you. Oh, okay. It's not to compete. It's not to to consider. Consider this in order to make a journey. So if you've got believing faith, at least you've got some kind of faith going on. That's a good place to start. Now move into obedient faith. Then move into full of faith so I can develop great faith. So let's hold our hands up now if we can. Let's go before the throne room. And why don't you just tell the Father where you are? Maybe you've wavered in your faith. Maybe you've got unbelieving faith. That might sound a contradiction. You've got more faith in your unbelief than you have in your belief. It takes a lot of faith to be an agnostic. <clears throat> to believe all this came from nothing takes a lot of faith. Some agnostics have more faith than believers. Sounds crazy, but it's true. So let's go before the Lord and say, Father, your presence has been powerful to us today. You've opened up the heavens. You've displayed your, your will to me today. From this day forth, oh God, take me from my believing faith. Take me deeper on this journey. Lord, help me use my faith to my work, to my walk, to my witness, to my worship. Lord, develop me in all those areas. Let believing faith, let full of faith, let, let um, obedient faith come in my work, my walk, my witness, my worship. Come on, begin to ask the Lord to give you faith in those areas of your life. Because for such a time as this, God will deploy his arrows at the key times. You cannot deploy an arrow without any faith. You cannot, do, you cannot be in the quiver of God without any faith. You must have faith in the quiver of God. So that when your faith is activated, God can launch the arrow. And knowing that there's faith in the arrow, 
to, to remain on the journey. Oh, mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Believing faith will take you a long way. Believing faith will take you a long way, my friends. Come on, church, ask the Lord to give you another portion of faith. So each man is given a measure. That measure must be developed. So if you have believing faith, wonderful, let's rejoice. But let's go to the next level. And if you've got obedient faith, beautiful, because that is such a precious level to be. Obedient faith. Even now, be obedient to what's being said. Even now, show obedient faith by taking this word and asking God to do something with your life. And as you become obedient in this faith, you'll naturally become full of faith. And then it's the people with great faith that do great exploits. The people who know their God will do great exploits. Hmm. Father, we declare, let there be a man and a woman who is prepared to eat the crumbs from the table. Let there be a centurion amongst us who is willing to take you at your word. Let there be a Stephen amongst us, man full of faith, who will preach himself into the grave. With one preach from the kitchen to the grave. Let there be men and women, Lord, full of faith. Let this house be established in faith, (coughs) in truth. Let it be established, let our faith be established on Christ, on his resurrection, on his return, on his power, his glory, his kingdom, his dominion. Let these people be established on that foundation, Lord. That Jesus Christ is who he is, who he said he is. He did what he said he did. And he will do what he said he will do. And to this end, Lord, we will continue to run the race. We will continue to fight the good fight. Knowing, oh God, that there's a day, a day, a day when it will all be recognized, all be summed up, all be laid before you. A day, oh God, in the twinkling of an eye, when the perishable and the imperishable will suddenly, in a twinkling of an eye, be changed and we will become immortal. No more pain, no more sickness, no more crying. Oh, Father, and we will see the result of our faith in Christ Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.